just like brands and companies, people need to have the right mindset about what could be rather than a preservation mindset or a victim mindset to try and work through when they feel that way or when they default to that mindset. Cause we all, we all do like in different circumstances, right? We can all kind of feel, you know, slipping into a victim mindset um, and wanting to act out um, or be passive aggressive about, about how we, how we react, but helping people through that is starts with an authentic self. You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by the people of Nice Work. One of the things we often catch ourselves saying is, can we ask you one more question? This podcast is all about sharing that, the best conversations we've had with significant brand builders, experts, and communicators. The people that we've encountered as we go about our work of making people care by creating impactful brands. Season three is focused on unpacking the topic of branding. We talk to people who design brands, own brands, build brands, and even those who hire for brands. We explore what brands look like and how they behave across a wide spectrum, from world-renowned brands with massive budgets like Spotify to companies that are making big waves on small budgets. If you're looking for insights on the best ways to invest in and build your brand, this is the season for you. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Today on the podcast, I talk to David Blythe. David is an exceptional brand strategist, having worked in brand, insights, technology, research, and people in over 20 countries. He's the founder of Delta Victor Bravo and is a representative of Eat Big Fish in Africa and the Middle East. Formerly, David was the CEO of Yellowwood, group-headed brand union, and has worked at places like De Beers and Tinderbox. We talk about the DNA of being a challenger and how you can connect that with individual people and their work. We also discuss how you can shift your mindset, use your resources better, and use that to build a brand that'll ultimately make people care. Enjoy. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast today, David. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, Ross. Nice to be here. Yeah, I know, I know uh, you know, we were just discussing this, this sort of year-end fatigue um, that everyone's sort of feeling. We are recording this episode just before December 2020. Um, and I know one of the things that you, you talked about in our pre-call was this idea of like the mindset of business people and how that can be such an important thing. And I think these two thoughts almost tie together. Can you Can you talk a little bit about this idea of, of sort of like mindsets of businesses and people um, and how that can, can help them to, to build better brands and to communicate more effectively. Yeah. I mean, that's a, it's a lovely topic. Um, and I think we all, we all need to reconsider our mindset at this, at this point in time, we've all been through such a significant year of change. Um, changes has been, not something we've had a choice in actually. So, you know, if, when you've got no choice to change, it almost creates the sense of, you know, negative psychology in and of itself. Um, because, you know, you didn't make a decision, things were done unto you. And, and I guess getting towards the end of the year, everybody has this level of exhaustion and, and I think wanting to restart, wanting to kind of reinstate their, their businesses. So, th- so thinking in a new way is really important right now. Um, we we typically talk about three different 
mind states or mindsets. Um, one is a victim, one is a neutralizer, and one is a challenger. Um, and it's those three mindsets which, you know, you don't fall into and stay into or stay in one of them. I mean, well, you're not just boxed in one of them, but, you know, we have very different reactions as, as people. Sometimes you can be a, a victim and you act out as a victim, depending on the circumstance, but you know, travel your way through those different um, minds, mind states um, and hopefully come out as a challenger um, and and actually not be a victim of change, but rather be an agent of change. And, and that's what we mean by mindset. Okay. And I suppose, I mean, it plays out in terms of if you're building your, your company or your brand and you're sitting in a market that's potentially got... Uh, competitors that are more money than you or more entrenched than you or uh, you know like that's happening in the design space that kind of commoditization is happening and prices are being pushed down how do these mindsets help you know like how, how would you encourage people to use these when they they're going out there and thinking about this and and communicating or trying to sort of overcome these obstacles yeah i think it's i think it's really important that people try and think beyond the category, right? So we try and encourage people to not succumb to category convention, the way things have always been done, but perhaps, you know, first and foremost, approach the category with a, what we call intelligent naivety. So it's almost the, it's the opposite of what an incumbent or a, a traditional leader in the category might be. They might kind of place a big value on experience and expertise. And actually, challenges place a very big emphasis on uh, intelligent naivety. So, thinking about the category, looking at the category in new, through new eyes, almost the eyes of a child, and being naive and questioning, you know, why can't things be like this, or why are things like that, um, or you know, what if we took this away, or what if we stopped doing this in the category? And it's that kind of perspective, Ross, that I, I think is. Um, something to be encouraged, not just in organizations and brands and operating in categories, but in people these days um, and being able to, to, to figure out how one can progress the category, not just maintain the status quo. I love that thinking. And it reminded me of an interview of how I built this, that I listened with the, the man who started Southwest airlines um, and and he just you know he was a yeah he was just a cowboy like he was he knew farming and he knew cattle and he was like I don't understand why the airline industry can't be like this and he just stumbled into it and and literally redefined how that entire thing functions just because he didn't he didn't have that traditional like feeling um, or, or intuition that the other people who might have uh, in the industry had yeah exactly I think that story goes that. Airlines at that stage were taking two to three hours to turn plans around to go on the next trip. And he said, why can't it be done in 15 or 20 minutes? And uh, came to that industry with no experience, but an absolutely brilliant idea, um, which people said, oh, well, that's just impossible. Um, but did it. Yeah. I also love this thinking that it's it, it's a mindset and and what you talked about just now is how this actually extends to the people inside the companies um, and how if you can encourage people 
to think of it, you don't necessarily have to take your company into a new industry. You could just pull in new people into your company. And if you encourage that thinking and you embrace it and, and reward it, you could potentially get some of that challenger mindset inside your company without actually having to change industries or, or, or like mix things up completely. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think one doesn't, all, one doesn't have to jump to the idea of, of bringing new people in because actually everybody has this capability within them, right? If, if, if one is to truly believe in, in the potential of humanity, everyone in this world has a challenger in them. And it's about how one as a leader of an organization or a team can help bring that out in people to help them be more authentically themselves, to help them, uh, you know, have a more ambitious purpose or, or align their own individual values as a, as a person to the organization, um, direction and strategy. Um, and, and, you know, all the other traits, there are six traits of a, of a, of a challenger person and a challenger brand that we like to talk about. And, and if one can surface those by through encouragement, through conversation, through more openness and actually create the environment for people to, to question, as a leader. And I think, I think challenges emerge from people. Um, and, and that will help your organization challenge the category. So, yeah, I think, I think, yes, one, one should bring fresh new people into the mix as often as possible, but in, you know, when we don't have the luxury of being able to hire in, in, in these kind of times, actually re helping people reset themselves, reset their mindsets, um, redirect their, their intention and their desires. Um, it is possible. Absolutely possible. So, so what do you think is holding most businesses back? Like, what do you see in your clients? Like why are they not actually tapping into this resource and these people that they already have? Why do you think that is playing out like that? Well, I think it's a natural thing in categories and it happens with people as well inside businesses who operate in those categories is that you, you kind of have a, a work self and a home self, right? And people come to work with their work self. It's like their mask of how they look and operate and, and you know, present themselves in a work environment. And that comes from somewhere, right? That comes from organizations who have not built kind of self-developing organizations but built a lot of rules and constraints that actually creates a system of this is how things are done around here, um, the conventions. And so if you're going to show up and, and, and win in, in, in this environment and be successful, you have to look like that, act like that, speak like this. And actually that's not people's true self, right? Their true self is how they behave every day with people that they're comfortable with, um, as family, I guess. And, 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 and actually creativity and innovative thinking comes from tapping your true values and your true capability and your belief in them. And I think when, when people then work, walk into organizations and start to conform, basically that depletes uh, the ability to be able to uh, you know, think in new ways um, and, and create you know, category leaps. Um, there's this wonderful exercise that we do in some of our uh, 
in some of our workshops where we talk about your first day at work or your first week at work and just to cast your mind back to that. And the first engagement that you had um, with a person in an organization and how they actually spoke to you, dealt with it, et cetera, and, and, and perhaps you were in that environment, even if it's an induction environment, you put your hand up and asked a question and people laughed at you or people pointed at you or people said, don't ask a silly question like that. And that exercise is a really powerful one because everyone's been through that where they've been admonished or they've you know, had a question shut down or people have kind of sniggered a little behind their backs about the questions that they've asked. And, and it's th- at that point that you lose the true value of creativity and human being because you never want to put your hand up again. That's amazing. And I suppose extending that beyond that, you know, like I believe that um, the people in a company are more, more brand builders than anything else you do, yeah. more so than your marketing, more so than your maybe in the digital world, your product you know, could be like the experience of your product could be second next to those people. But, yes. you know, there, there's very much an experience that you you feel when you meet someone from a company. And I think those are the kind of interactions that imprint on those people and tell them how to behave. Yeah, um, you know, we've got, yeah, Edcon went away. And in theory, Edcon shouldn't have gone away because they had all of the properties, you know, that were paid off, Decades ago, they had staff spanning the whole country. They had exclusive deals signed with brands. But every time you went into an EdCon and you spoke to an, a, a, an individual, like, hey, I'm looking for this, like, I found that whole experience to be so deeply off-putting that it actually stopped me going into an Edgar's. Like Edgar's became like my last possible place. And it wasn't that the brand was bad or the communication was bad or the advertising was bad, but Going in there, I didn't want to interact with those people because I could feel how little they wanted to actually be there. Uh, you know, and I think that's such a, a powerful thing when people are building their brands. They don't think about this element of of who's dropping off the product, who's servicing it, who's having those conversations with your customers, because that's where your brand comes to life or, or dies a, a horrible death. Absolutely, and you know, the more we do that with people, and we. We, we create these constraints for them and disable them from, from asking questions to remove the constraints. You land up with a normal curve, right? And basically it's a muddy middle. Everything's gray. Nothing stands out. And actually what you want to do as a, as a challenger or as a thinker, as a, um, a person is invert that curve, right? And actually be brave enough to have people either love or hate you. And, and when you get that right, um, you might have a smaller number of people um, who love you versus um, the rest of the market, but actually the rest of your team or whoever it might be in your organization, but those that do love you deeply. And that's the power Mm. of of challenger thinking is to rather carve out deeper, more meaningful relationships with people who truly get you rather than uh, have a whole bunch of meaningless relationships, which, uh, aren't really following you for the right reasons. Mm. I think that's both true for, for customers and for your staff. Like I think having those deep relationships with the people inside your organization is, is really important. And I think we've seen it play out a lot now in, in this sort of COVID time is the businesses that have 
been resilient, the businesses that have grown despite what's happening, the businesses that have completely changed their service offerings because the, the, the internals of that business, the people inside there and the understanding of the purpose of it and the drive of it were so embedded that they were able to survive even though everything around them was almost uh, on fire. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't that funny? Because it, it's, it's, um, it's those kind of individuals that are then able to have a conversation in hard times. Um, because the rule book's out the window, right? Um, and and actually, the kind of conversation you need to have is not one that is typical. Um, it's an atypical conversation about a circumstance no one could predict. Um, and and the, the people who who connect best in those kind of uh, circumstances are are people who just be themselves, um, who just say, "Look, I'm having a hard time," or, "You know what? Um, I don't really, uh, I, I don't really have the resources anymore to deliver on on the project that." that I needed to with you, but um, can we find another way? And actually that creates a lot more engagement if one is, you know, real about those kind of things. Um, um, I find the the organizations that have not flexed um, or not being, you know, truly honest about, 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 about looking after people in, in this particular stage that we've been through this year um you can see it playing out in this kind of you know payment terms who are the big companies that are sticking to the rules that they already had set you know to pay on 90 days over the last three years and don't actually bring some sense of of feeling and humanity to to changing that for small suppliers um i, I think there are little things that can be done you know to to actually be more genuine and human as 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 an organization and as people within organizations yeah i mean i think you've touched on something so powerful there because ultimately the people who've been fine at the moment are the big companies it's the ones with the huge war chests that could fall back you know they could be they could be down for three years and still be okay and it's all of the the medium-sized companies and the smaller companies that are the ones that are potentially at risk but Ultimately, the people that make up those companies are the clients of those big companies. You know, like they're the ones who actually buy the products that give them that money. Yes. And I think right now, more than ever, people are are listening. They're seeing how you've behaved. They're seeing, yeah. you know, like there were people who did price gouging. Um, and I, I would I would hope that it, in the future, those businesses don't succeed because people remember. You're like, okay, you know what? I'm going to pay you. I'm going to pay you for your PPE now, yes. but so help me God, as soon as I find anybody else who can supply me, I'm switching. Like I'm done with you and I'm never, ever, ever coming back again. Yes. And that memory, you're right. That memory does stick. And it's like that in a, in a personal relationship, if you've been in a difficult, you're going through a difficult time as a person and, and the people that you expect to help you most have not helped you, you will never forget that. No. I mean, I had a, a conversation with a, a property owner and I think landlords have had a particularly difficult time sure. um, because they were like the the easiest target they seen as, oh, you've got all this money and you, you make it for nothing. So I think people all stopped paying rent. And he was like, well, I saw this coming. So I just stepped out in front of it and I phoned every single one of my tenants and I said, hey, I'm offering you whatever. Like, I can't even remember the deal that he offered, but he's like, I'm offering you this. This is what it is. And quite interestingly, he was like, almost everyone took it. Yes. But what happened is other people, like everyone also then paid because now he's extended something. Yes. He said like, listen, I can see that you're in trouble. 
So I'm willing to offer you this. Now, what's implicit in that is the thing to, for them to say, okay, well, now I actually need to pay the 50% or 60% rent that he's offered me because I can't just stiff him and give him 0% because he's already extended to me this offer. Um, and I think in terms of like long-term relationships, those tenants are probably going to stick with him for as long as his space fits their need, even if there's potentially a cheaper offer somewhere else or a different office because they're like, well, this guy was really here for us when when we needed him, which is, I think, such a, a like a clever move. And I, I'm not sure if enough people have leveraged this time to to do those sorts of things and to to have conversations that people otherwise would never have been willing to to have. Absolutely, I had exactly the same experience. You know, my eldest daughter is in a res at university, and they proactively came out and said, you know, we're offering everyone that's paid up to date. Um, uh, a rebate um, or, or fees um, for the year. They didn't have to because we were contractually obliged to stay in it, um, but they did. And I thought that was remarkable. Actually, I heard of other other universities that that didn't do anything, um, but I, I really respect them for that. I have a, a, a hold them in, in a much higher regard from a values perspective just because of of, of, of that decision. Now, now I've sort of got two questions around this, you know, so you're saying that it's about mindset and, and having this thing like, and you focusing in on the individuals. Can you talk a bit about Challenger ID and how, how that works, you know, how it works from kind of a brand level or a company level down to an individual level? Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, I think, I think like, just like brands and companies, people need to have the right mindset about what could be rather than a preservation mindset or a victim mindset to try and work through when they feel that way or when they default to that mindset. Cause we all, we all do like in different circumstances, right? We can all kind of feel, you know, slipping into a victim mindset um, and wanting to act out um, or be passive aggressive about, about how we, how we react, but helping people through that, is starts with an authentic self, right? It starts with true awareness of actually what what happens to me when people ask me these kinds of questions or expect this of me or or treat me in this way. Um, and our, our ability to, uh, I guess, internalize and grow and learn how to to change how we react um, to those circumstances as individuals um, is is a really powerful thing, and I think you know the the, the challenge ID thing is a is a self learning um, development tool. It's got nine modules in it. Six of the modules are focused very specifically on the six traits of a, a challenger um, and a challenger mindset. And what we do is there's either there's a self learning option. Or there's a mixed kind of method option, and the mixed method op- option is where we, over three week, two weeks or three weeks, we will allow people to go through the course program, the self-learning thing, the nine modules with a and kind of eighty-question diagnostic at the end, which kind of helps them figure out where they are and where they need to improve or, or, or focus their energies, and and then we. We over the period of two or three weeks, we insert um, a number of kind of live engagements, which might be coaching sessions, or there might be a a whole webinar on uh, what what is challenger mindset or what is path dependency. You know, the, the, the fact that there's typical path that people follow and they 
keep to that path that don't think about other parts, the convention thing. Um, or we talk about questioning everything. And we'll use live examples and we'll use examples of other people or, or other brands and we'll talk through that content with people. And that's an interactive learning exercise with kind of group work and breakout sessions, et cetera. And then the next day they'll go back in and carry on with a set, another series of modules. So that's the way we've structured it. So it's either a self-complete or it's an, in, an interactive and engaging program over two to three weeks. But we're very flexible about that because it's a modular program and we can almost construct something that's quite fit for purpose for a team or for an organization or for an individual. That's, I mean, I, th I think what all of this is quite interesting is, is it feels like the companies that were secure in this time, so the bigger companies, if they're trying to adopt this mindset, it's, it's more of a challenging thing because they've got more people, more scale, more entrenchment, often more systems. So, so smaller companies seem to have more of more opportunity to, to move in these times. Like, do you think that there's going to be like a shift in, in kind of these small brands coming up and actually being able to challenge the more established players? Like, how do you see that? happening and in, in this time sort of playing that out? Very interesting question because there's two ways to answer that. I wish corp big corporations would change um, more quickly, yeah, but they actually go, heck, you know, uh, uh, everyone loves the underdog and, and, and challenges aren't always underdogs, but um, the, 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 if one looks around us and goes, what does South Africa need? What does Africa need? What does the world need right now? It needs more fresh kind of entrepreneurial thinkers who are willing to turn things upside down and and change the status quo and redistribute the kind of sense of power and influence. And so yeah, my money, my money or my my focus and 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 desire would be on the latter, right? I mean, um, because actually over time what you want is those, you know, fresh perspectives to be able to invert industries, um, recreate industries, um, build new leaders of the future um, that hopefully take us um, uh, in, into, into places where some of the corporatized decision-making which has led us into um, some very dark places um, no longer exists, you know. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, it's because it's there's – your point is that to, to make a change like this requires emotional energy. And as an individual, it's easier to garner that, to go through that, and to do it yourself. Um, to do that with a team is slightly more difficult. To do that with 10 teams is even more difficult, and to do it with 100 teams is, is a heck of a more difficult. So, yes, absolutely. It's, it, one wishes that the, the corporates would um, uh, uh, embrace this, um, and, and I hope some of them do, um, and I'm sure some of them will. Um, but yes, the, the, the real interest and opportunity is emerging and it's emerging from, uh, from uh, smaller teams, smaller companies, companies that have uh, the emotional energy to be able to make change happen. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, it's interesting because I think right now it feels like the opportunity is open. So it feels like the market has been sort of smashed. Um, and that's only happened a few times in our lifetime. This, you know, there was the kind of big 2008 crash. There was a little bit of a hiccup in, you know, sort of 2018, but that wasn't as big. And if you look at the brands that emerged out of those things, there's, 
things we use today a lot like Uber and all of these brands emerged out of that kind of emergent chaos. Um, but it, I think there is going to be a time in the, the not too distant future where the market will kind of solidify again and those that haven't been brave enough or bold enough to kind of make those moves are not going to have the same opportunities that 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 were here in this time. Absolutely agree with you. And uh, our ability to to kind of think less about resources and think more about being resourceful um, is 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 the is the kind of change we need to make in our heads. And how do they t- tell me a bit about these six traits? Like, what are those six traits, and how do they deal with things like you know resources versus resourceful? Yeah. So the, f- the first one is authentic um, identity, um, and that is having a true sense of self, understanding your own DNA, understanding how that you know kind of how you live that out and and how you bring that um, into conversations, into the workplace, into teams, um, and 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 how you, I guess, avoid conformity and promote a sense of um, realness because in that creates the emotional connection which feeds the emotional energy which creates further momentum. The idea of, of, of kind of ambitious purpose is really, really critical. Um, you know, and one can have purpose with a big P, which is quite grand, um, and and all about you know, you know, incredible goals that you wish um, for in in society and your family or your organisation, etc. But one can also have purpose with a small P, which are what are the small differences? What are the small things you can change that will make a, a big difference to people? Um, and and being able to understand how your personal values and your work goals intersect, I think, is really critical. Um, and people don't often ask that question. Um, they treat them as separate things. And I think that's a very important question to ask of oneself. Um, and so in the in the program, we do go through a series of exercises. So there's like a four to five minute video, then there's a 20 to 25 minute exercise that you do, and you've got to answer some of these questions, which are not, not easy, and then go through a bit of an assessment at the end, a self-assessment at the end. Um, the third trait, Ross, is about questioning everything, and that we spoke about a little bit earlier about that kind of path dependency that corporates have or categories have. Um, typically, they turn out this way. Um, typically, people, you know, uh, this is the way things are done around here. This is the way categories behave. Or, you know, when it comes to uh, a category like this, this is the language that we use. Um, and, um, you know, having the fresh eyes and the intelligent naivety to kind of ask upstream questions, um, to ask why can't we borrow, you know, this idea from another category and put it into ours and insert some new emotion or different kind of perspective into our industry is an important way for um, brands to think, but an important way for people to think as well, you know, that, that we, we all evolve um, over time and we all grow up and we all learn. Um, but we don't learn from conformity. We learn from asking questions. So, you know, we should be encouraging people to do more question-seeking, not looking for people who always have the answer because the people who always have the answer probably gave that same answer to the same people 10 times before. What you're looking for are people that question everything because you're going to find new opportunity in those questions and the answers to those questions. Then there's the um, the fourth one is agile inventiveness, and that's about doing more with less, which we all kind of, you know, we're very used to that that kind of statement from the last 
I want the same. I want the same work for a quarter of the budget in a quarter of the time, please. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. But that's about kind of re- relinquishing control, and 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 that takes a strong sense of self-identity actually to be able to relinquish control and not always think that control creates the expected creates the right outcome. Actually, collaboration and thinking and, and, and having less control sometimes can lead you down, you know, new paths, which suddenly reveal new opportunities. And if you're flexible about that and actually get to a point in the road and go, I'm actually going to go left, not right, because that's what people normally do. And I'm actually going to, I'm going to create my own path. You know, that ability to be able to think like that, to be able to, uh, in the moment, not answer your team or your, your boss or your, you know, your, your partner or whatever in the same way, but actually, you know, think about, you know, is, is there a new answer to this, this question or is there a new question um, to, 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 this, to this particular situation? Um, the fifth one is optimistic grit. Um, and that, you know, actually we have that in, in spades in this continent, you know, like we have it in us um, as people, um, the ability to kind of be resilient, to deal with hardship, to deal with constraint um, and not, and, and not to see constraint as um, a, a limitation, but as an opportunity. Um, and I think that, that, you know, the ability to be able to deal with ambiguity um, and many different answers to, because you've asked so many different questions is is really powerful because then you can mm. kind of pick one. Hey, it failed. Try another one. Hey, that one kind of half worked. Hey, try another one that really worked. So, you know, that I think the ability to do that and to your point, having smaller teams to be able to work like that is, is, is really powerful. And, and hopefully we're going to see a lot more opportunity come out of that for smaller organizations in the future. And then the last one is about inspiring others. And, I mean, that's always important in making things work, right, in making things happen, in, in, in bringing about the kind of change that we've been talking about is you've got to bring people along with you. It's, it, it's yes, smaller teams, one-person business, get it done. But if you've got teams and then teams upon teams, you have to inspire others to, to be able to change with you or change alongside you and and – and sometimes when we when we show up at work or at home or whatever, the way we the way we inspire others is by a default response, right? Um, how was your day? Oh, terrible. Um, or I just don't want to talk about it. Or what, so that's a neutralizer response, you know. But actually, how do you how do you rethink how you respond to people, the language you use, the the kind of framing that you do for them in in perhaps responding to a question so that you're not creating a negative frame but a positive frame into which they can insert another image or an emotion which builds off yours. And I think that is 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 really sounds esoteric, but it's actually very practical if you think about mm-hmm. it and you actually play out some of these exercises. Um, and the questions we have in, in the course do that. They help you play it out in a role-playing kind of scenario way. Um, and, and yeah, getting that right consistently and, and showing up that way with 
the right kind of motivation. You can become, you know, a magnet, not a loud hailer. You know, you can you can be the person that people want to be around. You can be the brand people want to be around, and that's um, th- th- that's what we mean by challenger overall. I think Burger King is is living that so well at the moment. I mean, they released an ad. It started in South America, which was the headline of it was "Eat McDonald's." Yes, <laughs> you know, and then the copy beneath it was like, "Well, of course we want you to eat our product, but you know, there's also McDonald's and KFC, and all of these people in our industry are suffering right now. So please just go out and eat anyone." Like, and I think it's such a a bold move of a company to do, um, but it, it shows people that you're they're willing to to think about others and not just themselves. And ultimately it is a selfish act because it's an advert and I'm sitting here talking about it. But in the end of the day, the essence of what they were trying to say was, was exactly that. Like yeah. it's, it's, and it's, it makes people stop and think as opposed to if they'd just gone out and be like, we're better than McDonald's. It just would have been another ad like that people probably would have just um, paged past. Absolutely. And you know, that reminds me of what we would, Call the original challenger brand, right? Which is Avis, and that—I mean—that goes back to kind of 1962. When uh, if you talk about authentic, authentic identity, that—that that was probably is probably a brilliant example because the headline in that in that ad read, um, "When you're only number two, you have to try harder, or else." Um, and that's like, okay, we're not number one. We're not going to pose. We're not going to purport. We're not going to say we're better. We're actually just going to tell people what it is, and that's why we are like we are. Yeah. So what's it like Jerry Maguire? It's like, yes. why should I choose you? It's like, because you're my only choice. Like, I don't have anybody else. So I will fight for you. I will kill someone for you. I will do everything for you because you are my my one and only opportunity, which most people would shy away from saying. But if you do have that opportunity to say it, it does make, uh, make for a compelling argument. I love that example. Yeah, that's great. So, so I know, like, so you work in in Eat Big Fish and DVB, and and one of the things you sort of uh, expressed to me that you're you're passionate about trying to get rid of is this idea of a lack of speed in in how organizations change or how they shift. Like, can you talk a little bit about why that is, and and what people could think about as they're trying to reimagine? Because I know everyone's probably when they're listening to this are about to go into strategy sessions, you know, they're about to start thinking about 21, 22, 23. How, how would you frame this to them so that they can, can not fall back into the same patterns that have got them to this point? Yeah. I, th- I think planning has taken on a whole different meaning, right? In, 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 in the world today, because we, 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 you know, historically, you know, in a, in a, in a kind of, post-war it came out of the kind of post-war era of of okay we need to build stuff in a structured way we need to have uh, a long-term strategy um, and a clear structure and clear operating models and clear uh, outcomes etc etc and and that kind of typical top-down approach to to strategy development has been uh, very ingrained in in how we in how we think as organizations and how we then act and behave as people um, and with the kind of advent of businesses being kind of expected quite rightly to have more of a social conscience and actually contribute more to society and you know concepts of purpose and and shared value and all that good stuff actually you can't you can't do that um, 
top-down long-term planning-wise. You, you can't. I mean, you, you actually have to be able to listen, like, but really listen, not say you're listening through like, annual tracking research, but actually be in touch um, and be completely connected with the sentiment and the empathy, you know, the, the feelings and the attitudes of, of, of your customers and your people inside your organization all the time. And I, I think that, you know, so therefore the, the kind of idea of annual planning gone, like the idea of six month planning, I mean, how do we organize ourselves to be able to, and, and maybe promote self-organization, right, within, within companies so that people actually just do stuff anyway because, because it's important, but it's guided by a more overarching, you know, impetus or intention, which is emotional energy behind it. And so that frames your decision-making, not the KPIs that are linked to a percentage that are linked to a market research data point, which is only, you only get every every six months or, or um, if you're lucky every, every month. So I, I think, yeah, I, I would encourage people to rethink how they plan to create looser structures of smaller teams and give more give 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 more give guardrails to people but give less rules to people in those teams and more liberation to be able to make their own decisions which come from their own sense of self because then you're promoting authentic identity and that's um you know and 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 then you know, hey, that might sound risky, but try it out. You know, try it out in a small way and see how, how it works and see how that team performs and changes. And I think that, you know, just trying things like that, throwing then a problem into the mix for the, the, those kind of teams to solve and then not, not asking them straight away for the answers, but asking them to ask the right questions, I think would be a lovely approach. And and hey, imagine if you structured like that, you can probably do ten of those um, very, very quickly in the space of a month, and 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 have that inform your planning. You know, rather than you know sit down at a breakaway session once a year and and plan your strategy out for the next ten. I mean, I love that. Uh, for me, I think the best guardrail is is when companies are very clear on what their their purpose is what their organizational purpose is because then it gives everyone at the company a sense if they know what it is and they understand it you just need to be able to answer to me how is this heading us that in that direction like that's your that's your guardrail you you, you tell me how in your department in your world in your objectives how are you driving us in that direction because i think that's that is the the unifier of all of these um, different things, and I love that idea of of being smaller and more intimate with these things, even if you are a large organization. Because if you've got that one direction that everyone's he- heading in, each team can do their own thing, and some might not work, but others are more likely to work. Whereas if you hedge everything on that single big concept. And that doesn't, if it works, it's great. But if it doesn't work, which uh, I think 2020 has shown us a lot of these strategies don't work, you know, then suddenly you, you, you've got to go to plan B, um, which a lot of people don't have. Absolutely. And, and, and that's a great point as well is, you know, 
why why this plan B thing? Why not like have 30, 30 different alternatives? It doesn't have to be like there's one way and then there's a you know there's a backup. Um, what if what if there are many more ways than plan A and plan B? Um, and and how do we then structure and hopefully self-organize ourselves as businesses to be able to operate in that way to generate many more letters of the alphabet um, that could turn into something unexpected i love i mean i love that thinking and i think it's such a great note to to end on um but also inspired by the idea that potentially imagine you could enable people to build your brand in this way too so it's not like it's the marketing department who has to kind of direct it but each person in each department doing their thing can think, okay, how do I bring this brand to life? How do I drive it forward? How do I, whatever, I mean, accounts, how do I make accounts the most, the best version of our brand of accounts that this ever could be, as opposed to just, cool, we'll just send our invoices out and make sure that the money's been collected on time. Absolutely. You know, it, it reminds me of that Netflix example. I'm not sure if you know uh, um, the book Powerful um, by Patty McCord, but she, she was the ex, um, uh, human resource head at at Netflix, and uh, they had two. They've got a number of values, but they had two core principles. I think they might have called them two core values, called freedom and responsibility. And the way that those play off each other is quite powerful. So you give people all the freedom that they need, but then they must take all the responsibility as well at the same time. So their their kind of financial stroke expense policy is do what's good for Netflix. Um, their their um, maternity policy is do what's good for your baby and for yourself. And so have all the freedom you need, um, but you have to hold yourself accountable for delivery. And, you know, in doing that, they also put in you know, things like there is no such thing as a B team player. Um, if you're a B team, you know, if your performance is B level, um, we will say a very quick um, and hasty, but very nice goodbye. Um, and, and that's it. <laughs> so it's quite clear, you know, it's, there's no, there's no, there are no gray lines, um, in that. And, and that, those sound like rules, but they're not actually, they're, they're, they're almost talking to that thing we spoke of earlier, where you, you're taking away the constraints, you're actually giving people as much freedom as they want, but they got to make decisions which are based on a value system which they also connect with as individuals um, and not on a kind of corporate, a set of corporate statements. David, I think that's such a, a lovely a lovely message and, and I look forward to living in the world where more companies behave like this. So thank you so much for, for coming on the podcast. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Ross. It's nice to catch you as always. Awesome. And I'll catch you guys in the next one. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. We believe that sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who's building a brand or needs some inspiration for their brand, please share this podcast with them. This is our third season, and we'd be grateful if you'd hit that subscribe button so you're the first one to know when a new episode comes out. Or even better, leave us a review and tell the world how much you enjoy listening. This really helps. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork. NiceWork is a purpose-driven company helping people who want to make a dent in the world by building brands that people give a shit about. We're based in Johannesburg, South Africa and serve companies around the world. If you'd like to know more, partner with us or make a suggestion, reach out at 
www.nicework.co.za. And if you're one of those really old school people, send us a letter and we'll make you a mixtape. <laughs> <laughs>